Thank you, Charlie. Appreciate it. Go ahead and grab a seat. Make yourself comfortable. My name is Luke. If we haven't met, I'm one of the elders here. I'm excited to teach today. Would love to meet you after the service, too. I'll be out there by the community banner afterward and uh, would love to just hear your story and get your name. Also, we're really low today because of spring break, and we have a lot of people sick, okay? I think we probably have more people sick than we do have out of town. So I know we just prayed. (laughs) God will let us do it again, I promise. But I would love to pray here in just a moment just for those who are sick. I even think we have a couple people in the hospital, last I heard. Um, And I know we do have people on the road as well. But I always, you know, when it hits spring break, fall break, I'm always a little bit more cognizant of people traveling back and forth. But this week also we have a ton of people sick, Um, a lot of families out with sickness, a lot of people that are just really, really, really sick. And so can can we just pray for a second for that? I'll be quick. All right, Father, I'm thankful, um, God, that you are so good to us and so kind and so gentle with us. And Lord, we have a lot of people that are just broken today in sickness of various kinds. And I just ask that your healing hand would be on them, that you would use this moment to pull them close, that you would heal them with with your power and your might. Lord, we pray for all of these things, whether you heal them or don't heal them, Lord, in this moment, I ask that you would draw them close, though, that they would see you anew, that they would taste you differently, they would see you more clearly. That's what we pray. We pray for health for our body, for sure, our, our, our physical health, but we pray for spiritual health, even for those who are sick. Well, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Um, also, I know I talked a couple weeks ago briefly about restarting our morning prayer um, that we used to do before the pandemic, praying for our city, praying for revival, praying for awakening. And then when Asbury came around, the revival, we thought, man, we really need to get that going again. Not to extend what's happening in Kentucky, but maybe that we would have our own revival here in Knoxville. I would like our own revival. So we're going to go ahead and start that next week. I've had a few people come up and say, hey, I'm interested in being a part of that. I'm interested in leading that. If that was you, I'm very thankful. Would love to see you there. It's 945 to 1015 right over in this hallway. Um, And listen, it's come and go. If you can only come for five minutes, 10 minutes, just come and be a part of that. I think eventually we'll have enough people coming and we'll have some leadership in there that we can put a rotation together. But um, if you come next week at 945, I will meet you there. And I'm excited to pray for our city. I'm excited to pray for new disciples. I'm excited to pray for God's move um, here. So listen, if you've got a Bible, turn to Mark 8. That's going to be the passage that's going to do all the heavy lifting. I'm going to read a psalm just for a moment, but Mark 8 is going to be where we're going to spend some time today. Psalm 50, it's not a psalm of David, it's Asaph, basically his worship leader. And this is what he says, quoting the Lord in Psalm 50, verse 10, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. Okay, this is speaking of God's cosmic ownership. Everything from the blue whale to the sand that builds our computer chips all the way to the hair on your head. God owns every atom in the cosmos. All is his. Everything is. Abraham Kuyper, who is a theologian and he was a statesman as well, he says, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Now, of course, this is a Christian statement. 
Right. A, a world that is far from Jesus would probably disagree with this. I know I did until God rescued me on the college campus. But upon my salvation, I did not know a lot of things. But one thing I did know, one thing I knew clearly is that I was going to let go of my whole domain. That was one thing that was crystal clear. I walked into that room an owner and I was giving it all to God. My hands were open. Journalist Leah Savaz wrote a well-researched piece here recently. You'll probably, you could Google her name um, online if you want to. But she did a, a little bit of a history on the axiom, my body, my choice, which we hear all the time in the news today. And it's just interesting. She kind of talks and describes how this pro-abortion slogan started to pick up speed in this culture, in that culture, how it just became the thing that we see on T-shirts and plastered all over today. And one thing that she says in her article is it's basically a cry for autonomy over ourself and over others. And I agree with her in that. Self-governing, self-governing autonomy, it will reach all the way back to Adam in the garden, where Adam would declare, basically, my body, my choice. I mean, nothing is really new under the sun, right? My body, my choice. Savaz ends the article with this. Abortion doesn't show autonomy and self-sufficiency. Instead, it's evidence of slavery to sin, a slavery that leads to death. And then she goes on to say, our bodies are not our own. Now, she, she pulled that from 1 Corinthians 6. Those are Paul's words before they're hers. Paul says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. But man, I mean, just think about it. That phrase, you are not your own. You're not your own. That... <laughs> That's a, tough, that's a tough charge in our culture today. It doesn't matter if you have a boring life or a wild life. It doesn't even matter. We all want to command our life's directions. We want to point the boat in whatever direction we want it to go. We want to get what we want to get. We want to keep what we want to keep. We want to be sovereigns over our own lives. We want to get certain tattoos. We want to work certain jobs. We want to travel to certain places. We want to go on certain diets, certain hobbies. We want to do everything the way that we want to do it. We also have specific ambitions and hopes and dreams. But all of us resist being mastered. We, re we resist being told. We resist being under an authority. By the way, one question that the church is going to have to be very good at answering as time marches on is, does Christianity strip away this personal autonomy? It's a good question. So what I'd like to look at as we kind of push through our series, we're getting closer to the end on discipleship. It's just a basic series on discipleship for normal people. I would like to look at how we manage our lives and not own them. We don't own our lives. We manage them. We steward them. Even our hopes and dreams. Can you believe that? Even your ambitions. Disciples embrace that nothing belongs to them. We call this stewardship, by the way. If you're new to the church... You're new to the things of Jesus. You're just kind of trekking through the Bible. You're trying to get acquainted. Stewardship is a word you might hear from time. It just means managing the affairs or stewarding the affairs for an owner for the owner's glory. Right? That's all it is. It's very simple. But again, if Christianity is new to you, the scope of God's ownership and therefore our stewardship is pretty wide. I mean, it's our money. It's our time, our talents, our future, our kids, our career, our bodies. And this is why we care about a sermon like this today in 2023. Because stewardship can be, in some ways, a way of suffering. Because anytime you live with open hands before the Lord, here's my life, there is the chance he will reach in and pluck something out, isn't there? 
And there's, there's suffering in that. There's potential loss in stewardship. But friends, if you want to enjoy Jesus, and, and I say that, I mean, remember, that's the first two words of our mission statement, is to enjoy Jesus. If you want to enjoy Jesus in increasing measure, it happens while you're standing on the path of stewardship, of managing of all things. You know, conversely, I think the most miserable people I find, they act as owners, right? They act as sovereigns. They're just really bad at it. <laughs> it but even Christians can do this. We can act as co-owners, co-dedicators, partial committers. Where we say, I know my life is the Lord's, but that's kind of the Bible answer. I, still, it's really my life. But let me just challenge you. Part owners are full thieves, we find ourselves in a property dispute with the Lord himself whenever we just kind of co-opt something and say, hey, it's okay for both of us to share this, isn't it? You see, the big idea of what we're about to read in Mark 8 is that disciples live lives with open hands in all domains. All domains. It's a steward's life. Let's look at Mark 8, 34. This is a fascinating passage. Things are starting to heat up for the disciples Things are starting to get a little bit more costly than they were the day before. And it says this, In calling the crowds to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Can we just pause there for a moment? That's a quintessential passage on discipleship, by the way. It could get its own series. But have you ever considered their friends and families? The disciples, I mean. They had them. <laughs> they had friends and they had families. We rarely think about that. But these are people that used to have aspirations and ambitions that would have been normal for society. You could have asked Peter as, as a younger man, as a 19-year-old as guy, hey, Peter, what do you want to be when you grow up? Who knows what he would have said? Run the family business, fish. They didn't have a lot of options back then, right? But maybe Matthew just wanted a finance degree and he ended up a tax collector. Who knew? But they had aspirations and ambitions that people wouldn't have thought were weird. And now, I wonder how many of them thought they were throwing their life away, just trashing all of their opportunities. I mean, even one day, if you get to John 6, you could read this on your own. Jesus is preaching a sermon on the cost and the depth of discipleship. And he was saying some crazy things that probably sounded inappropriate, like you have to eat my body and drink my blood, right? And people started leaving. He was shedding people back then to the point where he would pivot and look at his own guys and say, hey, you, you guys want to leave too? You guys want to walk out of here as well? And that's where Peter says, where would we go? I mean, where would we go? You have everything that we've ever wanted. You have the words of life. That's a good answer. Friends, you know you're going to grow in this area of your life when you make decisions that evoke this question from others where they look at you and say, hey, do you, don't you think you're throwing your life away? If you, if you make big decisions for the Lord, deep commitments for the Lord, large-scale decisions for the Lord, friend, let me, let me tell you, you will have a line of people telling you you're doing the wrong thing. You'll have a line of people telling you that you're wasting your life. That's a different sermon. But Jesus' disciples at this point are letting go of their self-governing autonomy, and people had to have seen this as wasteful. So Jesus being kind as Jesus is, he takes time to remind them that they were not ruining their lives, but in fact increasing. They're gaining. They're growing. They were no fools, as Jim Elliott would say, losing what they could not keep to gain what they could not lose. You see, one thing we see in Mark 8, 34, and we're going to find in the next two verses right afterwards, is that disciples 
have two key movements in their life. Two, laying things down and picking things up. Laying down your life, picking up a cross. That's going to be the main motion of your life until Christ collects us again one day. But let me just say, in this passage, denying your life, that does not mean deleting your individuality. It doesn't mean becoming homogenous with everyone around you and just being a nothing, being a clone. It doesn't mean that at all. Denying means denying authority over your own life and being a self-governor, being a sovereign. It means holding your ambitions and your hopes and your dreams and your desires and your kids and your money and your time, holding it all with an open hand. All of it. Every last bit of it. You see, carrying a cross, it's not just identifying with Christ. I mean, it's not less than that, but it does go further. It's actually being mastered by Christ. You know what's interesting about the cross? The cross is as a Roman invention. The Romans had an intention in how they invented it. It's supposed to demonstrate mastery. You see, criminals would carry this shameful symbol in a way of communicating to everybody, I used to kick against this authority and rebel against this authority, and now I'm wearing it. I used to push back by breaking the law, by being a rebel, and now I'm being mastered. That was a symbol of mastery for them. Can you start to see the irony of it? even before I say it, because when Jesus carried a cross, it was not Rome triumphing over his rebellion, it was Jesus triumphing over mine. He was carrying it for my rebellion. It would be in that moment that Caesar intended to be glorified, but he wouldn't be, would he? I mean, Jesus says to the Father, glorify me that I might glorify you. His glory would eclipse Caesar's. You see, a disciple's life is lived under the weight of a cross. We are not the authority, we are under one. And therein lies the problem. That's the problem. That's the problem with a text like this in today's culture, even in my own heart, even as I read it. We want so badly to be sovereign over our whole domain. That's not new. That's not a 21st century thing. Even in the book of Judges, it says repeatedly, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, in their own eyes. We are just like Adam, shucking off authority. We see it as oppressive. We see it as offensive. We see it as inappropriate. I mean, consider how we only love authority whenever it benefits us or agrees with us, which is how it is, right? You ever caught yourself driving and having someone cut you off, right? I mean, just flagrant foul cuts you off. Not like a little bit, but like they knew they were doing it and they kind of went a little extra to rub it in. What do you think in your mind? Where is an officer when you need one? Where is a cop when you need one, right? Oh, you're, you're just pro, you're back the blue in that moment. Oh, I'm, I'm just, I'm for our police right now <laughs> until the lights are behind your car. Oh, there's a cop. There's the officer, right? Where was he when I needed him? We do that. Or how about the parking ticket you get? You ever complain about that? Hey, you earned it, friend. You knew you weren't supposed to park there. You saw the sign. You thought you could get out and get back in time. You got the ticket. That's just the city's way of discipling you to live under an authority, right? To be mastered. You can kick back. (laughs) You can kick back against the goats. They will win. Or ever whine about your rebellious kids, right? Hey, where do you think they got that, friend? Where do you think they got that? You, right? Where did you get it? Your parents. We got it from their parents. All the way back down the family tree. Parenting is many things, right? But it is often training rebels to value authority. Often. If little Jimmy doesn't quit kicking the back of the seat after you, the authority, told them several times to stop kicking the back of the seat, well, Jimmy's having an authority crisis, refuses to be mastered, right? Parenting is teaching them mastery. That's what it is. It's not stripping their individuality, though, is it? Uh Uh-uh. 
You don't strip a kid's individuality by discipline. Discipline is a form of love. It's not inappropriate at all. It's life-saving. But do you see how controversial that is, what I just said? Some of you are nervous right now that I'm going to start talking about whether you whoop or don't whoop your kids, right? All you have to do is talk about authority exercise, and it cranks the volume up in the room. And I didn't even say anything. I didn't even say anything. But, I mean, we know that this is the way it will handle a conversation. Listen, if you go, listen, if you are in a room full of people and you barely know them, right, maybe you know two or three of them, and you want to see this in action, just walk up into a circle of people that you don't know very well and start a conversation that sounds like this. So, what do you guys think about the president right now? And then turn around and walk off, right? doesn't even matter who the president is. You just pulled the pin out of a grenade and you toss it over your shoulder as you walked off. Ask them how they feel about their HOA, about the NCAA, about the school board. Man, we resist authority. And we can trace this all the way back to the dragon in the garden where he whispers in Adam's ears, hey, can I be honest with you, Adam? God's oppressive. He's a little inappropriate. Seems kind of dangerous for what he's asking from you. Doesn't sound very healthy at all. You'd be better off running your own life. (laughs) That dragon is still lying in all directions for us. But the question is a good one. Will God ever ask for more than what is healthy for us? I only say healthy because we speak in therapeutic language today. (laughs) Will God ever ask more from us than what is healthy And for that, we're going to keep looking at Mark 8. So we're going one more verse, verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? We can stop there. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. This word life, by the way, it doesn't render out to give us the word biology or bios. Um, it's not, when we think of life, it's not that kind of life. This is more um, like, like what makes you you, the, the, the psyche of who you are. That's what he means when he says life here. It's what we will and think and feel and reason and hope. It's what makes us us as individuals. So what he is saying here is basically a statement and commentary on how we could keep our individuality partitioned away from God, where we could live a life separate from God's authority, as an authority unto ourself. And I'm kind of, I'm, I'm clicking this concept repeatedly because there's bad teaching here, especially on a passage like this. The bad teaching sounds a little bit like this. Hey, if you want heaven tomorrow, you're going to have to live in a little bit of hell today. The heaven all of a sudden is the prize. If, if you want to profit tomorrow, you're going to have to pay the piper today. Or you could pay the piper tomorrow. It's up to you. It's a weird teaching because what it does is it makes heaven the prize. And I've always been a little leery of evangelism that does that or even preaching that does that because it's gaining God that is the ultimate prize, not heaven. Not heaven. Eternity without an increasing exposure to the Lord and eternity without an expanding joy and discovery of the Lord, well, that's just hell. It's God that makes heaven heavenly. But Jesus' point here is you cannot be sovereign and submitted at the same time. That's a conflict of mastery. You're either owner or you're manager. Okay? That's the point. But what I want you to think about is where have you located in your own life where you demand to be sovereign? Maybe it's already come up in your head. 
I can't hear sermons like this when I listen to other folks preach on this. When I, I mean, stuff's already starting to bubble up before they even get to the punchline. I'm already thinking, oh, I think he's going to tie. I hope he's not talking about this. I think he might be talking about this. Oh, my gosh, I hope not. Where have you located that even this morning where you are praying to the Lord, even in your own heart, Lord, I want you to not take this. I, I know you want me to open my hands, but it's not happening because I'm afraid if I open up my hands, you will take that one thing and I won't get it back, and then my life is just going to be brutal. I don't want anything to do with that. For let me encourage you, it only looks like you're profiting here when you close your hands and you steal instead of steward. You're not gaining, you're losing, and you're losing big. Losing big. And just because we're Christians, it doesn't mean that we're bulletproof to this. I mean, our culture is good at this, but whenever we comment on culture, we gotta know it's leaking into our life as well. We swim in it all the, all the time. And so it's not uncommon to see Christians trying to get God to sign off on some personal ambition that we have rather than just submitting it to him. We see this, right? It's like when we try to, it's like when we buy our spouse as a gift, but we're really buying it for ourselves. You ever done that? And don't lie, you have done that, right? And I know what you're thinking when you do. My wife bought me a gift two years ago. I don't know what it was for, something that you buy gifts for people for, but I got it. And I've always wanted it. It was one of those percussion massage guns. Go ahead, ask me how I enjoy it. Couldn't tell you. This is why. Because I've used it like twice. Because every time I turn around, she's using it, right? And she's like, oh, I never really thought that I would like this as, as much, you know? But I mean, I, was like, I forgot it was my gift. There was a time where I said, I, I thought in my mind, man, that was a smart gift to give her. And I thought, wait a minute. She got that gift from me, right? So now I've got to go get my own gun and she can't touch it. She stole my gift. That will be mine. Now I'm buying myself a gift. But we do this with the Lord, don't we? We do it. Hey, God, this is something that we both want, right? We both want this, right? I mean, it'd be, it'd be good for you and me, correct? I mean, it's not bad, Lord. And we start this desperate sales pitch. Look how it helps both of us if I get this one thing. Look how it profits the kingdom. Look what it does for everybody. Look what it does for the local church. And it helps me. That's okay, right? That's okay. Listen, most of our ambitions, friends, they're not evil, so we assume if they're not evil that we have total ownership over it. No. No. Friends, if you're owner, you are not steward. And if your hands aren't open, they are closed. There was a guy I bumped into at a reception, I guess somewhat recently. I'm not quite sure. I can't remember. But just small talking with them, the, the way you do with people you don't know very well, Right? And I just asked the question, hey, are you part of a local church? It wasn't here in Knoxville. It was in another city. Are you part of a local church? Well, we were. And then blah, 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 COVID, blah, 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 supply chain, blah, 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 COVID. And I, I started hearing that. Listen, I swear to you, people are going to be talking. D-church people will be blaming it on COVID for the next seven years. I can already hear it, right? But that's what he was doing. But then he threw this in at the very end. He said, you know what? I was really, we were really involved in our last church really involved. My wife did these three things and I did these six things and we were highly, highly invested. But Luke, I just wanted my Sunday morning back. I just wanted my time back. I just wanted to do some things on Sunday morning. We were just over-involved. And in my mind, because I'm not rude, in my mind, I thought, no, you weren't over-involved. You were stewarding your time, your talent, and your treasure. Now, you might have been doing it for a bad reason and that's a different discussion. But now you're just stealing it. You think you've gained by getting that two-hour block of Sunday back. 
you think that you have gained, you've lost. Think about all of the discovery and exposure and enjoyment of God you've lost. But go ahead, enjoy those pajamas and finger painting or gardening or whatever you're doing in that 120 minutes. Enjoy that. So frustrated. I was so mad at him. And it's because what he represented with so many people. And then I get in my car and look in the mirror and I realize I do it too. I'm just as bad as this guy. I'm mad at myself. The only difference between me and that guy is I could dress it up a little better. I can make it look a little bit more impressive. But I want to be a sovereign too. I'm no different. There's good news though for guys like that and for me and for people like you, all of us thieves who are in a custody dispute with the true owner of all domains in the cosmos, and that is that Jesus did not consider his own life but submitted it to the mastery of the Father. Consider the beauty and the elegance of the gospel as it pertains to stewardship. Jesus enters a world of self-governing villains and submitted his life to a cross designed for criminals. Caesar did not conquer his rebellion with that cross. Jesus conquered mine with that cross. I was the rebel kicking against authority. I was the thief. But instead of declaring my body my choice, Jesus says my body for you, my choice. My blood for you, my choice. It's a different axiom altogether. And when it looked like the father could not be more inappropriate by stealing the life of Jesus, whenever we see that, Jesus was fulfilled in that. He was satisfied by carrying out the Father's will. Why? Because it aligned with his own. It was his as well. You see, the Father did not steal from Jesus. Jesus leaned into redemption. And now he's at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you, interceding for me, building a better place. And one day, he's going to come back and collect us all. He's going to bring us home. And what this does for me as a thief is it gives me trust, freedom. I have a freedom to trust the Lord and look and say, this, this is not my home. It's not my home. This isn't my stuff. It's not my life. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. No fool. Friend, what have you not truly submitted to the Lord, even if it's noble? What is it? Maybe you're scared of him taking it forever. Can I just say, if you're protecting yourself from God, you've just joined Adam, believing the dragon, believing that God is oppressive and inconsiderate and untrustworthy and dangerous. And, and stewardship sounds so oppressive if you don't see the beauty of God. If you don't see the beauty of God, then stewardship just looks like it's full of loss. Well, I guess I'll, guess I'll become a monk then. I guess I'll just become a nun and sell all my TVs, loss, loss, loss. I mean, if that's, if that's what you're thinking, when you think of stewardship, you misunderstand it totally. God will replace what used to just grip so tightly with more of himself, which is far better. And this is how far this works. Paul would even say this in Philippians 1. I am hard, hard pressed, I'm stuck, can't decide between these two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Even his own life even his own life. He said it's far better to be with Christ. It's far better to lay this down. You see, our master is beautiful, so his mastery will be beautiful. That's how it works. He's no oppressive tyrant. He's not stealing from any of us. 
So how can we walk in this as we try to get through this sermon right here? How do we walk in this in the same shape as Christ, as good stewards? And I think the first thing we do, there's three I'll give you. The first is we locate where we are reluctant to even open our hands. We're not even submitting them to Christ yet. We just won't even open our hands. What is that? What is it for you that you were just so scared he's going to touch that you just go, not today? It's like if you're a parent. If you're a parent, you've done this, right? You've walked up to your kids and they're playing with something that they're not supposed to be playing with, right? And you look at it and you're like, ooh, but they're really enjoying that, right? I don't want them playing with it, but they're really enjoying it. And if I just reach down and grab it, it's going to be a problem, right? And so what do you say as a parent? Hey, hey, buddy, let me look at that for a minute, right? And then they just kind of catch you. And they're like, what? You can't see it from there? What do you mean look at it? They, they don't want to give it to you because they know as soon as they do, you can see the battle in their mind. You can see the fight of their soul right there. And then you just coax it from them. Hey, I just want to look at it. I just want to look at it. As soon as it touches your hand, you're like, you're not playing with this. And you go and you throw it away or whatever you reason with. It's just your way of tricking it. But that's, that's what we think that the Lord is going to do with us. Hey, little buddy, just let me look at it. We think, I don't want to let go. If you touch it, it's gone. I know that. Except for us, it's our job. Our health, our time, our relationship, our money. So number one is locate where it is that we're even stuck. Number two is get wisdom from those who you see clearly and who clearly see you. Uh, I mean, we can stop pretending that we can see ourselves clearly, right? I mean, our self-awareness is not on point like we think it is. It's always good to shop these things before people that know us very well because this is what I always find. We will make mistakes in two different directions when it comes to submitting things to the Lord. Sometimes you'll bump into people, and I used to be this people, where you love God so much, you'll get rid of anything to get more of him. And so submission looks like deletion. You just start giving up things. I'm starting to sense that I don't taste the Lord like I used to. I'm quitting my job. <laughs> you know, something dra- It's just something to show the Lord. I'm being serious right now. I'm quitting big things because I want more of you. It's good to push that in front of community so they could say, oh, okay, maybe, but why are you doing that? Has the Lord told you that? How do you know? It's good to get that type of, of lean back from the people that know you well. You know, tangential to this, not directly in line with this, but something that's endemic in the church is oftentimes we will make huge decisions from an owner's perspective, Acting as owners, we will make a huge decision outside of community wisdom. Take a new job, do something big, break up, get married, make a huge life-changing decision as an owner. And you're doing it in solitude. You're doing it away from everyone around you. Listen, if your tightest relationships are shocked by a big decision you make, you're acting as an owner. That's you, friend. That's dangerous. Super dangerous. So locate, get wisdom, and the third would just be to submit it before the Lord and then submit it again. And then the next day you got to submit it again. Because we love to pick up the things we just put down, right? We do. That's the way we are. Lord, my career is yours. It's yours. You can have it. Oh, Lord, you have my career. And then you look over your shoulder and you're like, but that's a good opportunity over there, no lie. Like that, that's a great deal. And then it degenerates into my career, my choice. My career, my choice, right? Lord, my money is yours. Oh, it's yours, Lord. For you own all the cattle on a thousand hills. It's yours, Lord. It's your money. As long as I can, dot, 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 right? My money, my choice. 
You see, we have room to repent. I have room to repent when it comes to stewardship. If we agree that God is oppressive and dangerous and we have to protect ourselves from him, then we do agree with the dragon. We agree with the serpent. That's what he said. Today is a great day to state honestly, I am not my own. I am not my own. And yes, you need to know God will touch some things after you've opened your hands. Newsflash, he can get to those things anyway. He can get to them anyway. Some things you will get back when your hands are open. Other things you will not. As a brand new believer, when I came down the mountain of my interaction with the Lord, a lot like Abraham did, I had a couple Isaacs with me. Some of the things I brought up that mountain never came back down. Right? He took a lot for his glory and for my good. But in all of this, his mastery is beautiful. And this is why his mastery is beautiful, because he's a beautiful master. He's beautiful. We can trust him. We can trust him. So friends, listen, we have room to repent. We're going to do that here in just a second. But if you are watching online right now, or if you are here and you would consider yourself far from Christ or learning about Christ, but you wouldn't really consider yourself a Christian, there's a unique thing that God said to Saul whenever he changed him into Paul, whenever he rescued him, and that is you've been kicking against the goads. Kicking against the goads. What does that mean? It means pushing back against authority. It means kicking back against who is guiding, leading. Maybe this is you. God has been leading you towards a submitted life. I want to encourage you that the owner is gentle and kind. He's a beautiful master. And so his mastery is beautiful. This is what makes him so easy to give your life to. It's easy to give your life. As I've heard a million times, it is free It is free to come to Jesus. It is very costly to follow Jesus, however. There is a difference. John 12, 25, it's our last passage, says, whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. Let this be the day that you declare for the first time with your lungs, God, I am not my own. I'm not my own. I belong to you. I don't even know what that means totally, but I know that my hands are open now. They're open. Your owner, I am not. You are king, I am not. You are authority, you are creator, I am not. Let this be this day for you. And if that is you, I'd love for you to fill out one of the cards or come up and see me and let, let me know that that is a prayer that you prayed today. I'd love to walk you through that whole process, answer any questions you have.